everybody. Welcome again to the Food for Thought podcast. We have another awesome guest. We have Andre Obredovic on the line. He's a Aussie, just like our wonderful Naomi. And he has a very compelling story, like all of our, our stories. They, they all motivate me uh, incredibly just to hear about how they turned their health around by changing their nutrition and the way they train, um, just like the what the OFM program is designed to do. So Andre, welcome and welcome Naomi and Peter. Hey. Welcome. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Andre, um, first let's go over some of the background uh, about how you felt before you, uh, you adopted the OFM program. And then we'll talk about how you found, you know, what was the tipping point that you found something else and, and about your your health and your race performance now? Oh, so. great. Okay. Yeah, sure. Well, look, honestly, um, it's just been one of the most amazing things I've ever done. So I'll start back. Um, I was in the military, left, the, left school at 17, joined the Australian Army, served for 18 odd years, always been quite physically active. Um, I left there after just under 20 years and I went into the corporate world and went into the corporate world and the, the greed of earning lots of money stopped me running because I was lazy and um, I guess over probably 15 years uh, I put on a little bit of weight. Um, I'm now 50 um, essentially um, but over that time, in, you know, in the military, you're always heavily uh, physically active, always on the go. I did a lot of work in special forces, parachuting, um, being out in the field a lot, not sitting at a desk. And I was, you know, reasonably, reasonably healthy. Um, I didn't actually ever get to the point where I would call myself lean or have um, a beautiful physique, um, which was always something that I wanted. Um, I left the military yeah, and worked in a big corporate company, big American company for a long time and I started to get injured and a lot of that was from my military service. I actually got from parachuting injured and I had um, degenerative arthritis in my ankles when I was 30, 30 years old. Um, so I think I used that as a bit of an excuse not to run that much because it was a bit hard and I got... I had sore ankles quite often. Um, anyway, I, I went overseas on a family holiday when I was about 42, um, and that's about eight years ago, and I came home and I was having a shower. I really remember this day. I was having a shower and I got out of the shower and I looked in the vanity mirror. We have a mirror and many people don't look in their mirrors but I do, and I looked in the mirror and I thought, wow, how have I let myself get like this? Now, I, you, you didn't say mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? No, no, I didn't. No, that would be something you would say, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a pretty, I don't have much of a sense of humour, unfortunately. <laughs> well, you wanted to say you wanted to have the beautiful body. <laughs> Come on. I wanted, I, I wanted to have abs and... Um, so I, I got out of the shower. I wanted to look I, like Pete Evans. Come on. No, I wanted to look like you, mate. I'm a, I'm a younger version of you. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, you made my day, Andre. I love you. <laughs> we're going to sound like a couple of poofs. Yeah. That's all right. So, you could be a so, couple of poofs. 
don't even know what poofs are. Yeah, neither do I actually. What isn't that? What you put your feet on a poofet in the lounge room? That's what we call them in Australia, I think. Andre, go back yeah. to your story because I was getting into it. So. All right. So I got out of the shower and I looked in the mirror and I saw this man that wasn't the army officer or soldier that I was, you know, before I joined the corporate world and got greedy about earning money. And it was right then that I said I got on the scales and I was like 80 kilograms, like 160 pounds. And when I left the, mil- when I left the military, I was, you know, um, I think I was 69 kilograms. So you'll have to convert it for everyone that speaks in the wrong language. I don't understand that. So what's the calculations there? I was 69 when I left the military and I was 80 you know, 15 years later, what's that roughly? It's about 155, 160 pounds. And then when you got up to 80, you're like 180, 190 pounds. It's pushing yeah. up there. Okay. But, but, you know, most people, my friends, didn't think I was fat. But I, I sort of thought, you know, I was 160, uh, 60, 69, now I'm 80. I'm a lazy shit. What have I done to myself? So... I just made the decision then and there. I said, right, I'm doing something about this. So cold turkey, I just made the decision. This was like when I was 42, eight years ago. I'm not drinking alcohol ever again. And I didn't drink much, but, you know, we'd probably drink a bottle of good French champagne once a week, my wife and I. And and when I'd go away with work and we'd have big celebrations, I'd get smashed, not not really bad, but I did drink, but nowhere near as much as my mates. But I said, right, alcohol, stopping it, cold turkey. And for eight years, I've maybe had one beer or two beers in that eight years. Um, I rang a sports physiologist and went and saw a sports physiologist and said, you know, hey, what am I doing? He said, well, mate, you're lazy. You just need to get training again. You need to join a gym. He gave me a program and I joined the gym that week. And I set a goal and I said, right, well, I want to actually run a half marathon. So eight months after that date, when I got out of the shower, I set a goal to run the Melbourne half marathon. I'd never run a half marathon in my life. I'd certainly run a lot. In fact, I'd, I'd run about 80,000 kilometres since I joined the military. I worked it out that, you know, every morning in the military you get up and exercise and I worked out on average that I'd run about 80 grand, uh, 80,000 kilometres in that time. Um, so, yeah, so, so Andre, um, before we get into you're at a kind of a seminal point where you're, you're, you know, you got a trainer and you got a plan, you want to run a half marathon. Why don't you also flesh in, you know, you're, you're married, you had children, I, I assume at the, at the, at this point up to this point. And so how did you guys eat? What were your thoughts on, on diet, exercise, living? Cause I mean, nobody wants to be unhealthy. Nobody wants to eat poorly. Um, kind of frame that for us um, so that we kind of get a bit, better picture of how you were up until this point where you had this um, epiphany and decided to take action. Okay, I was just a standard average guy, um, beautiful wife, uh, been married for, you know, we got married at 24, so been married for a long time, only one wife, which is fantastic, but two kids, um, so now they're like 18 and 17. So eight years ago, they were 10 and 10 and 11 or 10 and 9. I'm not good with numbers. So, and, and we had the standard 
standard uh, Australian, standard American diet, you know, uh, complex carbs. I was uh, terrified of eating fat. I mean, I would, I would sit down and go out and people would eat cream and, and cream, pour cream over fruit and they would uh, eat bacon and I would be like, oh, man, you're going to get fat eating that. I mean, I actually used to tell people that. It was like so, so <laughs> I don't know what, what got into me, but I was on this really low-fat diet, um, low-fat everything, thinking that if I ate low-fat, I would not get fat, but the opposite actually happened. By eating low fat, I was always starving. I mean, it would drive my family's nut, family nuts. I'd be like every three hours I'd have to go to the fridge if I didn't have a meal plan. So I thought, well, I was running, you know, at that stage I was only running probably 40, 50 Ks a week, you know, as I started this training, and I was always hungry. And So the hunger got worse when you started the exercise. Oh, yeah. Like, I was like, I think my mental health was affected. I was anxious about not having enough food or having that afternoon dip because of the insulin and glucose effect. And it really affected me, actually, I think. Yeah. Um, and what was your, what was your, like, your diet like, like before you started exercising in the morning? I, mean, I imagine you were having, like, muesli or oatmeal for breakfast and, um, pasta at night, that sort of thing. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Before I before I went to the new world of how you should really eat and how we were designed to eat and how you know we were made, um, I, you know, while I was in the army and then once I started just the normal training years ago as a carboholic, I'd be having porridge, wheat bix, all the cereals and grains. I'd have pasta, you know, spaghetti carbonara or spaghetti bolognese or lasagna. If I didn't have pasta three times a week, I'd go, in, I'd go crazy. Um, risottos, rice, bread. I ate so much bread it was ridiculous. Um, and, and, you know, this is all based, as I started training, it was on all advice from a leading Australian nutritionist dietitian. I mean, the whole plan I moved to was all around low-fat, complex carbs. So, so you really were a carb whore. Oh, yeah, mate. Oh, I was a carboholic. I was like, absolutely. I, I couldn't get, I couldn't live without eating a lot of carbohydrates, you know. Um, and, to, and I know we'll get on to what I'm doing now, but I just can't believe what I used to eat and thinking it was actually the way we were supposed to eat. And what you happened? Know? Like you, uh, you didn't see the results that you were expecting. So, I mean... I can relate because that's exactly what happened to me is I was like, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to run a marathon and, and followed that low fat program and ended up getting fatter and slower and injured. But so, I mean, I can definitely understand, but what was your tipping point where you're like, I can't believe this. I, this is not working. What drove you to try to find something different? Um, okay, that's a great quest question, Stephanie. So I think about, you know, I'd done over from the time I was 42 to the time I was uh, now, I started this journey in December last year. So basically for seven and a half years, I'd done half marathons, I moved into full marathons. Um, I had a coach who 
I was doing heart rate training with. So I'm a big proponent of building that heart muscle almost as important as building your brain muscle. I think they're the two most important parts of your body. And No, so there's I, a third one. Hey, oh. hey, Peter. <laughs> what, what's Peter. that? Oh, <laughs> Andre, it's, yeah. uh, you just <laughs> you have to know. Yeah, don't, don't stop for Peter. Oh, oh, he's being rude. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't take any interest in that part at the moment. I'm just too focused on my running. But anyway, um, <laughs> if that's what he, if that's what he was getting at. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so getting back to the topic, um, let me think. Um, what was the tipping point? So, all right. So injury. So I was always injured. Um, uh, my my times weren't improving. And I could barely lose any weight. So, you know, I got to the point, right, where I'm running 70 Ks a week. I don't know how many miles that is. 70 kilometers a week. I was always measuring every single thing that I put in my mouth. I wasn't losing weight. And I had to go to the physiotherapist um, twice a week to massage my chronic uh, tendonitis in my Achilles. And it was... I, I just I started to think, man, how am I going to get to be sixty or sixty five and not be fat? Because I have this paranoia about being overweight. I don't know what it is, right? But maybe the military. But I thought there's got to be some other approach. You know, I'm I'm if I because if I can't run and I'm addicted to carbs, I knew I was addicted to carbs because I love bread and I love my pasta. Something has to change. So I spoke to my coach. And my coach is a top guy and, um, you know, he, he said, well, maybe you should – he said, I've heard a lot about this stuff that Tim Noakes is talking about, about, you know, high fat, low carb, have you looked at the paleo stuff? I, he said basically there's this guy called Stephen Finney who's doing this seminar at the Epworth Hospital. Why don't you go? You know, you might – might learn something. It's sort of this emerging science, and I know Peter uses that word a lot. Um, and I thought, what do you mean, not eating carbs? How can you run a marathon and not eat carbs? And and Brian said, well, Andre, you know, you know, maybe you should go and listen and see what this is about because it might help you. Um, so that's sort of how it started. That was one of the first low carb down under seminars, wasn't it? Was uh, Jimmy Moore there? Oh, sorry. No, no. This was one at the Epworth Hospital. Um, I think, yeah, I think it was, but I wasn't into that whole Facebook group and stuff because I was still this carbivore, this carb whore, thinking, <laughs> why would you, wanna, why would you want to eat fat? You get fat when you eat fat, don't you? So I was very, very skeptical. Uh, but I went to this event at the Epworth Hospital as a 72-kilogram um, weighing man who had just finished the New York Marathon a couple of months, probably a month before, um, with my whole carbohydrate-sucking goo plan and being paranoid in America in New York about not getting enough carbs and finding the right place that has low-fat food and doing the marathon and doing it well in 346 for a 49-year-old. But... The next day, I was like, couldn't walk. You know, the next three days, I couldn't walk. Um, and did I, you did you ever consider becoming a vegetarian when you were going down this path, Andre? Just curious, more than anything else. Oh no way! No, I love meat. No, 
Oh, well, then the change was probably a little easier than for you than some. Yeah, yeah. I, in, in fact, it's interesting. I started eating a whole lot of foods that I wouldn't normally eat. But so I went to this event and, you know, the background was marathons for eight years, never improving my times, always being injured, spending $200 a week at the physiotherapist, doing the New York Marathon, finishing it well, not bonking because I had a very anal carbohydrate intake plan. So I didn't bonk, right, because I was anal about my food and measured every single gram of everything I ate. So it was probably probably cool that day too, right? It was cool, but it caused me stress. It caused me anxiety about my food. I wasn't anxious about running with 50,000 other weirdos. I was anxious about the food, and can I find the right food and how am I going to manage it while I'm overseas? Um, so that then led me to say something's got to change. I went to this event at the Epworth Hospital with Stephen Finney and that, that evening my whole life just changed. My life changed in such a way that I will never be able to explain it enough. So you, so you got the books, The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Living and Performance. Yeah, I bought, I bought those books, but, well, you know. What was it that uh, Dr. Finney said that was really, was it just the whole talk altogether or, or like, oh, this makes sense? Or what was it that really was the light going on? Um, well, I was, I was desperate, right? I was desperate to learn a new way and everything he talked about the Eskimos and the Intuit people and the graphs he showed about glucose and how it gets processed in your body and how fructose can't get processed by your liver and it all just sort of thought I thought yeah that's exactly what's happened to me you know I've I've been this um going with the dogma of what we've been told and he talked about the companies that influence the dietary advice and all the food policy around the world and I'm an intelligent man, I'm not a really smart guy but it just was like all these things he talked about added up and I said, right, that's it, I'm making another change just like that. So you got to remember, this is just before Christmas, right? I come home and I say to my wife, I'm not eating potatoes, rice, pasta, bread, and I'm going to start eating high-fat food and, and I'm going to change and I'm going to lose weight and I'm going to have abs. And she's like, what drugs are you on? <laughs> <laughs> so, Naomi, uh, tell us, is it, you, you know, just to corroborate this, this is sort of the general way it is in Australia all over? It's definitely changing, Pete. The concepts and the way that people are open to change in Australia is um, is moving to other other ways of eating. Definitely, yeah. Well, did you see the thing that Peter sent uh, the video with the the yeah. the chef on the show? He said his show is number one in Australia. Is that true? That guy, Pete Evans. The, the... Did you... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> but but having having he's quite nice to look at too. Yeah, I was going to say for the girls, he's the probably total package, really. Yeah. yeah well, I thought <laughs> I, I thought you were referring to the article I sent. I was thinking maybe Andre was single handedly responsible for that thirty percent decline in grain consumption. No. Well, I was thinking that. Well, I thought that that fella had pretty nice teeth. 
I mean, he was handsome, but I couldn't stop looking at his teeth because it like his teeth are perfect. Andre, we got to defend ourselves. He's a little too pretty. Come on. Um, well, I have a man crush for him, so we do we do Facebook together against each other. I show him what I've cooked the night before, and uh, I, I've actually offered to run a paleo event at our garden to have people in Melbourne come for free and learn how to grow healthy vegetables. So they're sort of looking at that idea at the moment. So, well, I, well, Andre, down the road, you'll have to, you'll have to come even further to the dark side because the girls here can tell you, I, I have a, a very secret opinion of vegetables. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm on a low, I'm on, I'm doing a new experiment of low vegetable experiment, more like the Eskimos, so the, or the Inuit, and uh, it's working pretty well for me. So it's a, uh, uh-huh. yeah. So it's all like you dive a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper, and you go keep going, <laughs> keep going towards the dark side. But uh, being a more of a carnivore has, uh, I've dropped like six and a half pounds. I don't know how many kilograms is that? Two kilograms. That's uh, like three kilograms. Three three kilograms in a couple of weeks, and I still have quite a few kilograms and pounds to lose. So, All right. um, yeah, but I I talk about a whole turnaround. I I can I feel you because being always running, doing endurance sports, I was chubby and injured and sick, and I was like, what the heck is going on? So uh, that's a great story. And in Australia, I don't know if you saw the article. We'll post it in the show notes about the uh, grain com- production has gone down. What is it, Peter? 30 percent. I thought I thought it was Andre who was responsible for that, oh, the way he was talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're personally responsible for that drop in grain, though much as you were addicted that would to be, it. That would, be a, that would be a great life achievement, actually. I mean, I think... I think, honestly, you know, we'll talk more about this at the end, but I would love to be able to help influence more people, athletes and normal normal people, because we're not normal, I don't think. Um, <laughs> we're a bit different. Well, but I think I'll, that we will become normal. Yeah. I yeah. think it will be the normal way of life. Right. Yeah. The, uh, not me. Well, Peter's never going to be normal, but that's no. all right. <laughs> so, but, but I, I don't. I don't think I could. Uh, I don't want to lose any more weight. I'm down to 64 kilos, and uh, I've got my abs are showing through, and my bones. Fabulous. Yeah, my, my wife, like when we're you know being comfortable together, she's like, oh, I can feel your bones. It's like she doesn't like it, so I don't want to lose any more weight. So I'm going to continue eating my beautiful broccoli and spinach and all my vegetables. Uh, I'm even doing the, the carb sneak now with sweet potato and I know that's another story but we're, I'm using that now and that's quite nice with the cream and the butter and stuff but um, yeah, I don't want to lose any more weight. I'm happy with how I am now. Well, that's down, that's down to um, 141 pounds. Now, how many centimeters or meters tall are you? What, what's your height? Uh, five foot seven. Okay, yeah, well, that's, a, good, that's a really good weight. That's yeah. a really good weight. Well, then yeah. I don't think you need to lose anymore if you're lean. And, and so tell us about your athletic performance now that you've changed. You've done this turnaround. And how's your recovery? So how's your performance and recovery? Great. Well, well, look, you know, to me, this is a journey and I've only been fat adapted. I started the fat adaption journey and being on the right side, not the dark side of a carboholic for probably 
in fact, I think we should start a moving movement called Carboholics Anonymous, but that's a joke. Um, I started in, what, November? Oh, no laughs? Okay. I started in <laughs> no, November. No, that was good, Andre. That was good. <laughs> that was good. I, started, I started in November and it's now uh, nearly September, and I think it took me about five months before I actually was in a state of being, you know, uh, carb uh, fat adapted. So that was a, a before we talk about my performance now and how I am. Um, you know, that five month journey was, I think, pretty interesting. You know, I'd be the, doing the runs and I'd get dizzy because I wasn't didn't focus on my sodium intake. Whereas now I add salt to all of my water drinks when I'm having dinner every day. People think I'm weird when I go to a cafe and ask for Himalayan rock salt and put some in my water. Um, it's quite funny. <laughs> I don't know, Naomi. What do you think about that aspect? Have you have you had any strange reactions to that sort of thing? I can't say that Bowen would even have Himalayan rock salt in any of their cafes, so I haven't had that experience yet. Good for you. Salt works. And you guys live right by the ocean, so you probably own, have your own salt salt right there. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. So, um, so but I look, Stephanie, inflammation is the key. So I noticed within about three months, not even three months, that I was not very sore after runs. Um, the key thing is I haven't been to the physiotherapist since November last year. That's awesome, especially because you were going, what, two times a week? Yeah, I was going two times a week and you couldn't even touch my Achilles tendon. I would jump out of the chair because I had chronic Achilles tendonitis. So part of this process I went through, I started reading um, you know, the Grain Brain book, and I've read it like five times. And then Nora, Nora Giordano, the prime, yeah, her book, I've read that three times. And I get that whole inflammation process. To me, honestly, the, the best thing about this for me so far has been the non-inflammation and not being sore. Um, so I haven't been to the physio. I never get sore. Example, before the Gold Coast Marathon, which was in July, I did a 35-kilometre track run in three hours and two minutes. Um, so for Zach Bitter, that's slow. But for me as a 50-year-old man, that's not a bad effort. And the key thing was the next day and the next three days, I didn't even feel like I'd run 35 kilometres uh, in three hours. I, it was just so liberating and freeing, you know. That's perfect. That's, uh, and, you know, I feel like with this whole, the OFM program, it, it lets you age backwards. So you get to go back in time because you feel older. Being a carboholic, you're feeling older before your time. And then you change it around, you get to the fountain of youth again. Yeah, oh, that's a great way to put it. I feel like I'm 24. I mean, my mental capacity, my mental state, my confidence, the fact that I've got abs, I'm lean. Like I wax my legs. I get my legs waxed every six weeks because I have this mindset that I'm an athlete. And the definition in my leg muscles is just amazing. Like you go to a race and people look at them and it's really cool. Like, But, but you know, being lean and being mentally effective and not being starving for food and knowing that you're not going to be sore is just awesome, you know? Oh, yeah. It's 
We know. That's why we're we're out there doing these podcasts so we can spread the word and spread the spread the health, spread the wealth and health uh, uh, about you know. There's a better way, and I think whenever you're following the other diet, it seems like you think you're doing everything right. You're doing everything that these experts are telling you that's right, and and you don't get the result. You see these other people like. Why are they training just as much as I am and, and they're they're getting faster or there's something happening to them or and I am not. It's just like, well, they're obviously doing something, but maybe uh uh that's the um it's just the it's nice to know that you're recovering faster, your performance is better. So what do your times look like now? What's your running performance look like? Uh, and, uh, what happened, what happened during Christmas? Um, oh, you mean with like how I ate or what happened at Christmas for me? Is that what you're asking? Oh yeah. So, uh, so the transition process, Andre, like, um, how did you find that transition process? Once you went home and said, I'm not eating potatoes anymore, how did you go? (laughs) Well, I'm a pretty disciplined guy because of the military, right? So generally when I set my mind to something, I usually stick at it, like the no alcohol thing. I find that very easy because I I have this picture that alcohol is poison. That's why I don't drink it, right? But with the food, um, I I actually said to the whole family, this is what I'm going to do. So I made a public... Um, announcement and commitment that this is what I was going to try. And I was said I'm going to do it for six months. I'm going to do it as a science experiment. So I made a verbal commitment to the family. So I, you know, everyone knew that this was what I was going to do. And I told them I'm not going to eat bread, pasta, rice. I'm going to drop the sugar and I'm going to move to a new way of eating. But I also went and got my bloods done. So I had all of the blood tests you're supposed to get done that Stephen Finney talked about and I said so in six months because they all said oh you'll get sick you shouldn't eat like that you can't eat high fat you know what about all this you know and I just ignored it but I said so in six months after I've started it's going to get the blood test done again we're going to see if I've lost weight are my bloods worse or better the funny thing is I went to my doctor who I'd seen for 14 years and he was like no way, you do this and you're going to get sick because I already had apparently high cholesterol. LDL was high, not that I knew much about it then. Um, But I've got all, I said I'll do all the results six months later. I'll do another VO2 max and blood lactate threshold test so I can see the science of my bloods. I can see the science on the treadmill with an exercise lab and then I can look at my weight and my gut and how I feel. So that was sort of, the approach I took to start off with. That sounds like a pretty darn good approach. And so after that, what did the doctor say after you went through this process and you had, and so you went back and had the post post test, right? Well, he wouldn't, he wouldn't let me do the blood test because he, in Australia, you can't do the HbA1c unless a doctor approves it and he wouldn't approve it. So I found a doctor that was a diabetic who does low carb, high fat, and he approved all the blood tests and he let me do it. And I haven't been back to my old doctor since. That sounds fabulous. (laughs) That sounds like a good plan. I think as consumers, I 
it's important to really uh, vet our doctors as well. So uh, uh, I think it's important that you know we're we're allowed to fire our doctors if they don't give us the advice. There's uh, or help us out in in exploring our health. Mm. So what were the baseline blood markers like? What were they like? Oh, okay. You mean before I um, before I started? Yeah. Okay. Um, let me just find them because I've got a photo of them here. I don't have the actual big printout with me, but just give me one sec. And uh, why don't you talk about? So even maybe, just tell yeah. us what what were the differences? So what uh, what oh, were the okay. differences that you found? So from when I started First to started. six yeah. months later. Yeah. Okay. Um, Did it take six months? Did you feel that? Because you would have noticed that in your own body. Oh. Uh, so you, mm, you mean what were the differences in the results or, or in the blood tests or did I feel any difference? Yeah. Did you feel any difference like going through that process? Um, mm. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you put the blood results aside, if you know what I mean. I, I, I've struggled on runs, so I would didn't have any energy in my legs. Like it was like my heart wanted to do it, my head wanted to do it, but I felt really weak in the leg muscles. That was really strange, and I actually had to lie down on some of my runs and put my feet up which I didn't really understand what that was about. Um, so I did lose a lot of energy and I think that's a common thing with other people I've spoken to. Um, that was probably the worst thing. But the thing I did, I noticed that I didn't need as much water because that was one of the other things. I started reading Waterlogged by Tim Noakes. So I, I reduced the amount of water I was drinking and then all of a sudden it was like this switch happened and I wasn't feeling lethargic anymore. But I think one of the things I was, I was fixated on taking bloods using that thing you prick your skin with and do the ketone testing and that was so up and down I decided not to bother with that anymore and I, I, I sort of read an article and it said, well, you're probably burning your ketones. So I didn't bother about that anymore and then all of a sudden this switch happened and I felt really good on the runs. You know, I think that was a key thing was not having it in the legs. Have you what 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 would that be all about, Naomi? Do you know or? Um, it's probably the process of um, the lactate because I find that myself. So if I eat any grains or um, grains more so than anything else, I will get that lactate in my legs. Yeah. Right. Okay. Are you that, the same, Peter? Like, it, did you find that? I've I've never I never was low low fat or, or high carb. So I I did my first marathon, and that was the last time I carb loaded. And after that, it was always a steak and a loaded baked potato. Um. So, um. But I think what what it is is it's a combination of of lactate load, and then when you're when you are um low fat high carb. Um, because glucose is so tightly regulated, you burn through that glu glucose and then you create that big lactate load, but also you don't have the intermuscular uh, triglycerides to do the sustained fueling. 
Yes. Well, I've, I've actually got my blood tests here too, um, if you want me to tell you what they were and what they are now. So, so I guess the, the whole change process took months and the worst thing was I felt lethargic for a while, but then it was, it was like, I've, like I've, I've changed my engine, right? So my resting heart rate's 34 because I do all heart rate training. And through the process, I found that I could run faster and longer with a lower heart rate, you know, so that was part of the change. But if you want to look at the test results for the bloods, I had... Um, what, what was your heart rate before? Was it higher? Uh, I started heart rate training in when I was 42, and it was like 65 beats per minute resting heart rate, and now it's down to 34. And... I think it hasn't, my resting heart rate hasn't changed because of this approach, but my, I, get, I don't get to LT1 lactate threshold till 90% of my max heart rate, whereas it used to be about 80 or 75, and I've yep. got all of those results from the lab. It's just, also, it's just so amazing that I can run at a much higher pace um, without getting any lactate, uh, you know. So in January... In January 2014, I would hit my LT1 threshold at 72% of my max heart rate, whereas in May this year, um, I hit it at 90% of my max heart rate. Wow. That's awesome. Like the exercise lab can't believe it. Like they've never seen it before. It's really cool. Um, do you want me to explain the blood test? So yeah, let's go over some 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 yeah. of the the, the main L, blood yeah. markers. Okay, so LDL. When I was a carboholic, so December two thousand and fourteen, LDL was three point eight, HDL was one point four, and now in March, in May this year, my LDL is four point two. So that's gone up, but my HDL has gone up to two which is fantastic. Um, Triglycerides, I was at 0.6, which is still fairly low, but now I'm 0.4. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah, so... What about your your HbA1c? uh, Yeah, okay, well, they didn't... I didn't get that done at the start, but that's now, in May, it was 5.4. But I would say that's still a hangover from being on so many you know, gels and carbs for the years and years and years. So I'm going to have it done again in about six months, and I reckon that would have come down even further. Okay, good. Cool. So, good. And um, any other markers? Did you do any hormonal markers, anything like that? Yeah, I did all of those, but I don't have them, but I can share them and you can put them up in the notes. Um, I, you know, I had every single blood test you can talk about, but the only ones I've got with me at the moment is the LDL triglycerides and you know, after reading everything I have, as long as you've got low triglycerides and high HDL, it's, uh, it's a pretty good mix and, you know, I'm not even thinking about the LDL. Well, that, from all the stuff that I've read, I, I think that's right. The, those triglycerides are a pretty good marker of things that are going south or going good. Yeah, yeah. Did your doctor ever recommend that you go on statins before? So when, it, when your old doctor that you fired? 
no, no. He, I, I think he asked me to come back. When I had the, the blood test done in uh, January 2014, he did ask me to come back and see him about my cholesterol, but I never bothered to. Um, and then the new doctor, he's like, your blood's beautiful. He said, you know, he measured my waist as a 50-year-old and said he's never seen anyone with such a small waist. And then when he looked at my blood results, he was like, these are just perfect. You couldn't get better. But he's, 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 a, he's a doctor that's not 30 years behind because he had diabetes and he's fixed his diabetes by eating like this as well. So he's, you know, he's smart, not silly. Have you noticed in Australia that there are a lot more doctors who are willing to take that approach? Uh, I, I don't really know. Naomi's probably best to ask that question. I think it's a bit of a mix. Um, we have a lot of alternative doctors now and natural doctors coming up in the ranks. So, um, But I tend to find that the drug companies do tend to overbear the doctors here, yes. Oh, that's pretty much the same here. We have a, a lot more natural doctors, Chinese medicine doctors, and some naturopaths that are, are pretty popular. So it seems like the trend's probably about the same here then. Mm. Yes. But drug yeah. companies definitely have a big influence with doctors. Uh, you know, you go in there and everything has a drug company logo on everything. Yeah, you know, the yeah. Clipboards, the and pencils. that's where they get their education from too, Steph. We yeah. find here, you know, they don't get their education from natural things. They get it from um, drug companies coming in and educating them on different things. So it's quite amazing how much influence that they do have on them. Yeah, that's the same here. It's not, not any different, unfortunately. But at least the it seems like the population there have... Uh, really embraced the change and maybe it's the cute doctor on tv or the cute chef on tv oh pete yeah of course oh you're talking about me mind you oh. um it's funny <laughs> i saw a um a facebook um article on him yesterday that was basically canning him and bagging everything that he was doing, you know, saying that he's going to an extreme. And um, so I believe that there's someone behind that that's written that article and doesn't understand, you know, yeah, the benefit yeah. of what he's trying to achieve in Australia. I saw that article too. Yeah, he's he's doing more of the pay, what I call the, the PC paleo because he is, he's like big on kale, which I still don't understand. Yeah. Um, so, so Andre, back to your your test. So you, you had you did all the medical tests. So, uh, did you do any exercise lab testing? And what do those results look like aside from the um, we you, the lactic threshold? And uh, and what are you eating now? Oh, great. Okay, so so you know part of my journey on running is I started with my coach when I was 42 and he basically said if you want to if you want to train with me you have to do heart rate training so I've had like four max heart rate tests over that over that eight years because we adjust the heart rate so I would say apart from diet one of the biggest things is building your aerobic capacity and I know Peter talks about that right so um I, I yeah I did do another vo2 max with lactate threshold test so I did the one in January 
2014 when I was what I call a Muppet or a Carboholic. And then I did one in May 2015 this year, which was six months after starting on low-carb, high-fat. So um, those test results show, and Peter's got the reports and the graphs, they show um, my fat burning and how my fat burning's changed. It shows my VO2 max. So my VO2 max has actually come down because I've lost eight kilograms of weight, which they said is that's what should happen because you lose so much weight. But but I think my actual capacity's grown significantly. But when you look at the fat burning and carb burning graph and compare it to um, the year before, the year before, it's massively different. So I start out burning um, about four and a half grams of carbs at 10, 10 kilometers an hour. And that comes down to um, about 3.5 at maximum speed. My maximum speed, I think, was 15 kilometers an hour on the treadmill. But the fat, the fat burning starts at about 1.6 of a gram of fat per minute. And it grows up to um, at my max speed of just under 0.6. So sure, it's not one one milligram um, a minute, but the change is massive compared to when I was a carboholic. And that's just going to continue to, you know, grow. And you're only on the treadmill for 20 minutes. So, you know, as you warm up that engine more, I, I would pretend that I'd be burning more fat. And, you know, I did that test without having any Vespa because you're not allowed to have any, you've got to be fasted when you do it, essentially. So the, the test results are really different to when I was a carboholic, and I'm happy to share those in case any of the listeners want to have a look at the difference. We can put those in the show notes. Yeah, yeah that and would it's all be great. It is, and then it's science, you know, it's not me. You know, but I think the other thing is the actual perception and feel of how I run. That that's a you know that's a key. Uh, that's a real difference in how I feel. Um, I, I don't know how to explain it, but you feel like you feel like you warm this engine up. So I'm running. You know, I run for twenty or twenty five minutes. I do a lot of running on the AFS track, like three hour sessions, and. I run for 20 minutes and my heart rate's not even 100 beats, right? And then I, I start to warm up through the, zone, the heart rate zones and do a lot of interval work. And after about an hour, I'm not even sweating or breathing hard and I'm running at like five-minute pace, five-minute a kilometre pace, and it's like you've got this massive engine and it's not even hard work. It's, it's just something I've never, ever experienced before and... When I speak to the exercise lab, they say that's because it's a mixture of having massive aerobic capacity, but then also about the the nutrition, the way I'm burning fat now enhances that. So, Pete, sound right? Because I'm not a science, I'm not a smart guy like you. Is that is that? No, that's that's exactly it. The bigger you get your aerobic engine, the the better you can take advantage of of burning fatty acids and ketones over glucose because glucose doesn't take as much 
oxygen and it burns very quickly. So um, when you get that massive engine, I, I also speculate that, that when you get built up like this and you're on the OFM diet, which you know makes use of the nutrition, not just the macronutrient profile, you're also nourishing your mitochondria. So that that oxidative, that healthy oxidative process of burning fat um, and getting the nutrition with that fat you're burning builds your mitochondria, both the size of them and the mitochondrial count within your cells. So you become much more robust. The more mitochondria you have, that's already established, the more you can, you can take advantage of burning fat. Well, that must be what's happening. And it feels, it's just life. It's like freeing. I feel... I never have any stress when I run now because I, I feel like I'm an, a machine. I don't know. It's not, I'm not trying to sound arrogant, but I used to worry and stress over running and if I could do a session or how, if I'd be injured or like it's almost like someone's opened this golden door to a palace and my whole life's changed around stress around running and it's, it's just so amazing. I can't explain it. Yeah, yeah. And that's what we call the golden window because what I found with both, with, you know, pretty much any athlete, if they can build a hour and a half to two hour aerobic base where they can run for an hour and a half or two hours without needing a lot of anything, even if they're high carb, it, you, it, it really induces a, an adaptive stress that allows people to, to be pretty good fat burners. But when you combine that with, um, the, the change in the diet, it's, it's immensely powerful. Uh, and so, Andre, you're, you're running performance. Obviously, you're, you've become a great fat burner and your running's going well. Have you noticed anything outside of running? Uh, how has the change of the diet affect your everyday life? Um, okay, well... Less stress because I'm not having to worry about what am I going to eat. I mean, I just don't feel hungry. I'm really hungry. So I think we're spending less money on food, absolutely. Um, we enjoy our food more and meals are sort of like, it's almost like a feast. So we like to have meals with the family and it's like we're having our one meal for the day and it's more enjoyable. I, I actually grunt and make noises when I eat because I love it, the taste of it so much. It's like so strange. But so less stress around uh, when are we going to eat and what are we going to eat because we don't weigh anything. We just get the steak out, the broccoli, the butter, the coconut oil, the, the bit of sweet potato maybe, and we just do a cook-up and we eat enough to make us full. And And then it's like... The next day you might wake up and I'll go for a two-hour run and I might not eat anything till one or two o'clock in the afternoon. So less stress around food. Um, I'm sleeping really well, but I've always slept very well. Um, what are the changes in life? Um, mentally, I'm feeling much more relaxed, um, much more relaxed in my head about what I'm doing in life in general. Um, the, the other thing is my wife, my beautiful wife has started this as well. And that's, that's the other really, um, great thing is that, you know, she was, she, she put on a bit of weight after having kids and, um, you know, ate bread, pasta, rice, not a lot of it, but she'd struggled 
done doing different types of things like you know your low low fat thing and your meal replacement things and it's never worked well she's she's lost five kilograms in four months and she's like me now she does fasting she she does the whole thing she'll only eat when she's hungry and it's like for her health, her skin looks much better. She's feeling better. She's less inflamed, so she plays competition tennis. And she says, this is weird. I'm not sore anymore. So to me, if that's what I've achieved by doing this myself for her, that's the most important thing in my life as far as I'm concerned. That's great. Do you, And do you have kids? Your kids are, are older? Uh, 18 and 17, and, and uh, we just don't cook rice and pasta and potatoes for meals so they're forced to sort of have the meals they eat with us they um that's what they eat and they complain but that's how it is and you know they're too young to really understand because they get taught all this stuff at school and in the in social media about what you should eat and you know all I can do is walk around with my shorts on and my nose singlet and show them my abs and say, this is how you, <laughs> you by eating fat, this is how you uh, build abs. And I give my son a hard time because he's 19 and he doesn't have abs. And, uh, yeah, you know, they'll learn by observing and seeing how healthy we are and over time they'll make their own decisions, you know. Yeah, it takes a, it takes a while. And especially that age, they're a little rebellious, not, not, not on purpose, but they're trying to do their own thing. Well, well, we're trying to unlearn learned behaviours that right. are ingrained to our in it, to our brains in a way of you know uh, ma- mental maps and patterns and and these super highways of neural pathways and those neural pathways make us think that this is what you do and we're trying to make new ones that say no, it's not. So it's a complex thing to change. Oh yeah. So tell us about. Vespa and how that's been uh, helping your running and and fueling your races. Yeah, great. Okay. Well, look for training. I take Vespa uh, a Vespa about twenty to forty minutes before I train, and I never train anything in under. I never run for under an hour and a half. So I usually have a Vespa, especially when I'm having interval sessions. Uh, but I only have it with water, and I I don't. Um, so I have it before, and then for an hour and a half run, I don't have it during the run. I don't feel like I need it. But, you know, if I'm doing three hours, I will take a Vespa with me in my little running belt, and I'll just suck that. I'll often suck that down straight because it's so easy to come out of a little satchel, and then I'll grab a mouthful of water. But most of the time I'm running fasted, um, you know, no food, no carbs. But as I said, before the run, I'll have a Vespa. If I'm doing a, a longer run, I'll have one on the run. Now, racing's a little bit different, of course. So racing, I take a bit of a different approach. So what does your race look like, like your nutrition for your races? Do you uh, do the sweet potato the night before? Yeah, so what I'll normally do is I'll have a, a nice marbly steak for lunch, actually, two days before. So we normally race on a Sunday. So Friday, Saturday, I'll have a, a marbly fatty steak, about 200 grams with butter, olive oil, with some sweet potato. And I get the sweet potato and I get pure organic cream and pure organic grass-fed butter 
or grass-fed butter that's come from cows that are grass-fed, and I'll whip that heaps of Himalayan salt to increase the sodium in my body with broccoli, spinach, cauliflower. I might have cauliflower and celeriac mash, and I'll have that for lunch on the Friday and the Saturday. And in the evening, I'll have just a small serve of salmon because I'm not that hungry, but I'll have salmon and I'll pour olive oil over it, a big chunk of fatty butter that people freak out and they look at you and say, you'll get fat. Well, you know, that's what they're thinking. And I'll sprinkle a lot of Himalayan salt. Because that's what you thought. Seriously, that's what you thought, right? Yeah, absolutely. that's what I thought. Yeah. I thought, how can you eat that crap? You're going to get fat, you know. like. Um, <laughs> but what I do now is I say to people, um, I say, why are you eating grains? And they say, what do you mean? I say, well, tell me, picture what a good, healthy cow eats. And they said, grass. And I'm like, oh, okay. So tell me, why do they send a cow that's not healthy? Why do they send a cow to a grain lot to eat grain? And they'll look at you stupidly and then they'll go, oh, to fatten it up. And I'm like, yeah, so why do you eat cereal and pasta? Because isn't that grain and isn't that why you get fat instead of eating you know, vegetables and good healthy beef. Anyway, that's another story. But, um, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll have a salmon or prawn the night before on the Saturday night and Sunday, but I, I'm now going to add some more sweet potato and blend that, blend the fat in with the fat, you know, under cover of the butter and the cream, maybe some sour cream. I'll put sour cream on top of the steak. I'll pour beautiful olive oil over the top and, um, that's what I'll have a couple of days before, essentially. Well, that sounds pretty yummy. <laughs> so. Yeah, it, it is, yeah. But yeah. I think one of the important things is to make sure, from my perspective and everyone's individual, is I have to add a lot more Himalayan and Celtic sea salt to my meals uh, because the first marathon I did as a fat-adapted guy, I actually ended up having some cramps at the end of it which I've never had before. And that's my fault because I didn't pay enough attention to adding sodium in the morning. Um, I just ran the run faster apart from having a, a Vespa. I didn't, you know, it was my first run as a fat adapted marathon and I went out far too fast at the start. I went out like a minute faster than I wanted to and I didn't pay enough attention. So we live and learn um, and my next marathon, I'm going to pay a bit more attention to the nutrition. Because, well, well, I think you could probably go out at that pace, just have to maintain the blood volume. Mm. And if you start sweating a lot and don't maintain the blood volume by keeping enough salt there, um, that's going to happen. Um, so I'm like that too about the salt, Andre. I need a lot of salt. I well, mean, and, and for the audience to know, um, Andre mentioned he re read Waterlogged by Tim Noakes, and a lot of the information in Waterlogged is spot on, except that you have to understand Tim wrote that book before he had his um, low carb epiphany. So a lot of that um, uh, information when you're exercising is outdated. And even Tim has said that in interviews that he, he basically defers to Steve Finney. He doesn't quite understand it yet, but he knows that you need a lot more salt in the diet. And then especially when you exercise. Yeah. Yeah. So next, so my next marathon's in about, uh, I'm doing the Melbourne marathon and then three weeks later I'm doing New York. I'll have a much better plan. My race nutrition plan. I, I, I know what I have to do before, I'll have a much better race nutrition plan 
for those runs, and I'm confident I'll do you know PBs absolutely, awesome. given you know the training and and the new approach and being eight kilos lighter and not being sore and you know not being stressed about what to do. So Andre, kind of to finish this up, uh, anything you'd like to say to the audience and. Um, uh, we're going to have you on again to talk about the whole uh, mind mapping uh, thing that, that you're uh, sort of a consultant in. And, and we're very big on that because the mental game and the stress game is huge for optimizing your fat metabolism. So we want to have some of the things you've learned and teach uh, on there to, in a future uh, focus podcast. But what can you say at this point? Um, what would you um, tell I th- somebody who's uh, on the fence? Yeah. Sorry, Andre. What would I tell someone who's on the fence? I'd say if you're on the fence and you're worried about cholesterol and those sort of things, do it as a six-month experiment. Get your blood test done first before you start and then and just make a commitment to yourself that you'll try this for six months because the worst thing is that for you it doesn't work. The best thing is it'll change your life like it has for me. That's the first thing I'd say. Um, Second thing would be um, if you're going to do it, do it cold turkey. Don't ease into it because you'll get a faster adaption to be a fat-adapted athlete if you go to, you know, whatever, 50 grams of carbs a day or whatever, whatever you know, process you use. Don't, don't do what they call cheat meals. You've either, you either do it and do it properly um, don't sneak into it and sort of do it gradually. They're the two things I would say. Yeah, and pick a time when you're not doing a lot of exercise. That sounds like great advice. Well, thank you so much for your time, Andre, and I love your story, and I'm so happy for you that you're having such great results, and I'm sure you are too. And I'm sure your wife enjoys the six-pack abs as well. So. <laughs> well, well, you look, you Definitely. know... I, I'd like to, you know, thank Peter and you guys because the information, the whole OFM program and the thought leadership that you guys bring to the table has really helped me and I I learn more every day when I read it and listen to all the podcasts and the science. Um, It's just phenomenal to be able to learn how your body should be working, how it was made to work really and learn more about it. I, I guess without you guys putting the word out and going against the dogma, we wouldn't be able to make these changes. I mean, I'd, I'd be a fat, fat 50-year-old worrying about why am I fat doing the right thing. So it's about changing the game and I want to thank you guys for, and Peter specifically for his intellect and all his passion around it. It's just well, I get energised every time I listen to your podcasts and hear how you guys talk about this. And, and I'm a disciple now, and it's never going to change, I tell you. Well, uh, our goal is to change the world. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're to save the world and make everybody age backwards. So we, we've got one convert. We just got a you know, couple billion more. Okay. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you.